I want to say welcome to Cheltenham on our family Sunday, first Sunday of the month. Welcome home. We come together as a church family. We're strangers out there, and we're family in here. It's so good to see you, our regular family, and it's good to meet uh, some new members of the family or visitors to the family here, you know, like in for the holiday weekend. Robert, welcome back, your family. Uh, Robert Kim, who preached a few weeks ago. And then during the uh, time in between services, I was up in the loft and met family new to me, and I said, uh, uh, or they asked me about someone else, and I said, yeah, I'll see, I think they come to the second service, so they are right here. See what we can do? It's like coming into the den, have a seat on the sofa, let's just talk a little bit, so we don't usually do that. Um, We're also going to go into the kitchen, or the dining room, if you will, and celebrate the Lord's table together at the end of our service today. Now, you see behind me, we've been talking about, uh, for a number of weeks now, this theme of who are we as Christians. John mentioned it a few minutes ago uh, when he was uh, helping to send out our young people. Who are we? Well, the Bible uses this word stranger. Uh, Some translations call it exiles, some aliens. And when I think of the word alien, you know, sci-fi type, well, it's Not exactly that, but sort of that, somebody who isn't really at home here because they belong somewhere else. That's who Christians are. And we've been trying to see that what God says is not just, you are mine and you are different, so hang on until I get back to earth, but you are mine and I want you to be lights for me and doing good on this dark planet until I come back. And as you do good, you will point other people to me. You see that? It's kind of like a cycle that way. So um, sometimes that's as easy as just listening. You know, we were, were sending out these young people. Wasn't that amazing? It's almost like the front here had to have extra overflow on the sides. Uh, But every one of us gets sent out on a mission trip every day, wherever you go. I was just thinking this morning about my regular trips to Costco, and you've heard me talk about that before. I don't think I've ever told you about one time I was in there, and uh, I was, well, actually, I was on the, you know, park my car, get my card out, and they have a person there to make sure that you're a member They let you in and all that. So this man says to me, in his Indian accent, hello, doctor. And I thought, oh. And I said, are you talking to me? And he says, oh, excuse me, you look like my doctor. And at that moment, I thought, okay, I could just keep on going with my shopping cart and list and hurry up and get done, right? Or I could take a few minutes, which I did, and just talk to him a little bit. And uh, every time I see him now, we talk a little more. Whether he's checking in people or uh, he's maybe checking people out or he's stocking shelves or something, even if our eyes will meet, 
I'll just smile a little bit, and he'll smile back to me. On one occasion, uh, he was talking to me about his son, and uh, I forget how we even got there, but his son who was wanting to get a job and then wanting to get a wife and so forth. And, and I said, I will pray for him. Is that okay? I said, I know you are Hindu, right? And he says, yes. I said, well, I'm Christian, but is that okay if I pray for him? He said, oh, yes, that's good. So it, it, every time we just build a little more, and I don't even know his last name. I know his first name. But it's that kind of a thing that I hope is a good way that, as a customer, I treat him a little different maybe than the average customer. Not because I'm anything special, but because I want him to know Jesus. See, that's what we've been looking at in First Peter here. That's the way Peter says Christians should self-identify. We're strangers, but we're loving people from where we are. Now, since today is the first Sunday, we're not making new progress in the book. We're kind of going back to review something. So I thought it would be good for us to look at the two verses where Peter talks about who we are and why we're here. So let me read 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. And on the screen, you will see that I've highlighted some important words. Peter writes, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. Now let me just pause right there. That's the first of a few times that Peter in the letter calls these Christians by this kind of strange term. Are you starting to own that? We've been talking about it for a number of weeks. We are not people in power. We are not part of the masses. We are a different group of people on planet Earth. We don't belong here as the Earth is. We're waiting for God to come back and set it right. And He will. But in the meantime, we don't put our foundations too deep. We don't put all our hopes in the structures and the money and the whatever else you might hope for in this world because this world is not our ultimate home. It has to get changed first. And yet we're, we're still here. So that's how he introduces the, the passage. Then he says, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. You see where he, after calling these people foreigners and exiles, he says, you're a war. Now, he was writing to people 2,000 years ago in the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was like the great war machine, right? They conquered everybody on the margins and brought them into their empire. That's not the war that Peter is talking about. He's not talking about a nationalistic war where we take up arms against an enemy. He's talking about a personal, internal, spiritual war that you are fighting every moment of every day in your soul because you are being fought against. 
Let's draw back away from the book of 1 Peter and look at the whole Bible again. Remember, when God created the world, He created it good, very good, perfect. And Satan wooed Adam and Eve to his side. Sin came in, ruined the planet, both the people and the earth. And God is redeeming. He gave a promise to them that one day the head crusher, the seed of the woman, would crush the head of that snake, that serpent that brought evil into this world. And we've been praising the one who did it this morning in our songs. It's by Jesus' birth and death and resurrection and ascension that he is now on victory side. And you and I are called to take his victory and start to embed it into our lives and our families and our jobs and our neighborhoods. And that's a war because everything is pushing against that in your soul. Just blend in. Just retreat. Just give a little bit. And Peter says, no, no, no. You abstain and you live such good lives that when people see, they, they say, what's wrong with you? You know, it's like, do we ever do such good that it causes people surprise? You see the steps there? The idea is that as Christians, our new people, our new creations, bringing God's good to this planet Earth, and we live it and show it, other people are supposed to say, wow, why? Oh, I believe too. That's the way the gospel goes out. You know, it's just what Jesus told his followers in Matthew. Remember the passage that goes like this? Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See the rhythm of the passage? You become a changed person. You live out a changed life. Other people see it and say, oh, wow. Oh, now I see. I see God. Not I see you. I see why you are different. Why you're doing good. So, how's it going in your life? You have to stop and think because it doesn't always come naturally. Right? You've got that moment to decide, am I going to do good, or am I going to do evil, or am I going to do, just do nothing in the moment? Now, some people might say, you know, all this talk about good deeds, good works, come on now, this doesn't sound like the gospel. Well, I'd like to show you one passage, not in Peter, but in the book of Ephesians, where the Apostle Paul kind of dissects what's going on here. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. 
And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So which is it? It's not that, oh, as Christians, we believe in faith alone and no works to spoil our salvation. Paul seems to say that in verses 8 and 9 here, right? It is not by works. And I was thinking, you know, how could I illustrate this? So we just got back yesterday from a week at the shore, and uh, we had a great week with our oldest daughter and her family, three grandkids, uh, except for Saturday morning. Now, if you have done this before, you may know what I mean. What I'm talking about is when you rent a place, you enjoy it until you have to leave because they give you this checklist of how you have to leave the place kind of the way you found it, as well as pack all your stuff up and take it back to the car when it's really hot out and stuff is heavy and a lot of steps and all that. So it's almost like you need a vacation after Saturday morning because you have to check out by 10 o'clock and return the keys. So my wife, my dear wife, says to our three grandchildren, all right, you guys are going to help. And we, we, I would like you, she said, to go to the beds, there were six of them, and you know, kind of make them the way they should be, bedspread and pillows. And if you do, when you're finished, you get to watch Paw Patrol on my phone. Well, that's all it took. Because, and my wife said, you know, they did it. And, and we're talking about kids uh, three, five, and seven. So they did it as well as they could, and they all came back, and they got to watch Paw Patrol. Now, how were their works motivated? Like, why did they make the beds? Only because Mumsy says, you get to watch Paw Patrol. That's what Paul says in verses 8 and 9. It's by God's grace and our faith that we are saved, not by our works. When we come to Jesus, we don't say, okay, God, I want to know you. I want to have eternal life. What do I have to do? Do I have to go to church more? Do I have to obey my mom and dad more? Do I have to be kind to my brothers and sisters? Do I have to go on a mission trip? Do I have to give money to a church? Do I have to fill in the blank? And then, when I do it, God will say, okay, 95%, that's good. You got it. No, no, no. Not by works. Only by God's gift, His grace, and our faith. That whole package is a gift of God. It's amazing. But, verse 10 says, once you have the gift, it changes you. How? See what it says? Created. That's what happens when you come 
in faith to Jesus. God recreates you in the inside. That's what being born again means. You have a, now a new nature, a new heart, new impulses, new desires, new wants. And when God puts his spirit inside you, he starts to rewire your desires. So now you start to want what he wants. So let me tell you the rest of the story. On three mornings, one of our grandchildren, I'll leave the name out, but I'll probably slip, uh, comes to my wife, and I think I was there one, one of the mornings, and she says, Mumsy, I made your bed for you. And gives her a big hug and gives me a hug. And I think the conversation was like, okay, and you want candy? Or, <laughs> no, I just love you three mornings. Bless her heart. That's, well, why did she do that? Well, I, I don't want to get too deep here. I don't know but it fits my illustration really well, okay? <laughs> because she wasn't looking for something. She was in love with us and wanted to do it because she had a new heart, could I say? So why do we do good things? Not to achieve, but because out of gratitude. See the difference? It's you. If you don't see the difference, I don't think you're either into religion that says, give me a ladder and I'll do my best to climb up to heaven. How many rungs? How fast do I have to go? That's not the way. It's by grace, through faith, trust in Jesus. But once you've got the new heart, once you're created, you are a factory of goodness. And you say, oh, so then I achieve something. And Paul says, well, no, not really, because even those good works were prepared by God in advance, like before creation, for you to do. So don't pat yourself on the back too much. Even the good works come from a gracious God who fuels your heart to follow him. Wow. Hmm. Someone this week sent me an email from a blog site of the Navigators where Doug and Pam Nunke write, what would it look like if our church outreach was less agenda-driven and more characterized by love, patience, confidence, that the Spirit knows the right timing? Every encounter we have with another person, believe it or not, has purpose. Through patient sowing, we can see people wooed ever closer to the kingdom of God through the presence of Christ they experience through us. That's a delight. So think about your life, what it costs you, to be nice to somebody, to do good. And if you say, well, I don't know, that's out of my 
Okay, hold it. We, have, we are coming to the table of our Lord Jesus Christ, who left heaven for us, lived, suffered, and died. And if you know him, that can't help but change you, stretch you, break you, and give you a love for other people. I'm going to pray. I'll ask our deacons to come. Our elder Jim Pittman is going to help me serve at the table. Let's pray. Father, thank you for leaving heaven for us. Thank you that you became human so that humans might become sons and daughters of yours. May we remember Jesus today like we never have before. In his name we pray. Amen.